Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. I'm Marshall and I'm here to introduce this week's episode with the awesome Mer Lafferty. So if you'd like to follow her on the social medias or check out her podcast, please check out our show notes. Uh, if you want to support our show, of course, patreon.com slash just keep writing. And of course, follow us on the social medias as well and give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. So without further ado, please enjoy the show. This week's interview again with Mer Lafferty. Thanks for listening. All right. And joining us this week is Mer Lafferty. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Appreciate hey, guys. It. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I'm going to hand it off to Will. Will always starts with uh, a specific question for our guests. So take it away, bud. Okay. Hi, Mar. Good to see you. Hey, good to see you. Oh, thanks. So I always start the question with all of our interviews like this to describe your career uh, in three words. Okay. Well, that's uh, my career has been very strange. We'll go with strange, free, and unexpected. No, that strange and unexpected are the same thing, I suppose. I Damn, don't know. I this think this is hard. I think, <laughs> I think I think this is more like I think strange and unexpected could be different, you okay. know, because everyone's journey is a little bit, you know. Yeah. It's okay. It seems like everyone. It seems like everyone we talk to, it's like a winding path. You know, yeah. it's not like the straightforward. So when you think about those three words, like we'll unpack it for a minute. So why do you think strange? Because my career started when I started uh, podcasting. I didn't know that at the time, but I started podcasting in 2004 and the opportunities it brought me, the uh, unexpected, strange things that it encouraged me to try and the networking opportunities I got started my career. Um, free because a lot of the stuff I started with was giving away content, giving away my patio books, giving away uh, PDFs, experimenting with using a podcast method to distribute PDFs, things like that. And then unexpected when I actually got traditionally published, one of my third book got very surprising awards nominations and then I got to do a Star Wars book, which none of that was expected. So, mm-hmm. so do you think in the like, could you replicate that now? Do you think like if you started later, or do you feel like you were just so ahead of the game uh, when it came to podcasting and no one knew like what it was going to do? The time, the timing was definitely part of it. Um, I have been doing this for over fifteen years, and. I don't know what to tell new podcasters because my advice is build a time machine and go back to 2005 and Mm -hmm. become one of the first podcasts um, and stick with it. Mm -hmm. And you you can't do that anymore. I don't know how many people are podcasting free novels now. I don't know. Um, There's just so much stuff out there. There's a whole bunch of every like every two years, a mainstream author podcasts their novel and gets a whole bunch of uh, in gets a whole bunch of press saying for the first time a novels podcast and oh my gosh and yeah <laughs> yeah this this those of us who are independent we're just sitting back there with our bottles of gin just saying a <laughs> lot of bad words but um but yeah I wouldn't know what to tell somebody today because it it would have to be a much different 
it would have to be a different path because the path I took isn't really there anymore. Yeah. So you started I Should Be Writing podcast and you are also in the, um, what is it? The Hall of Fame podcast. Yeah, the Podcast right? Academy. Hall, yeah, Hall that's of amazing. Fame. Um, and when you thought of starting the podcast, you weren't published at the time. What really gave you the thought of, I really want to talk about my writing journey? Well, I started a pod, uh, like a, a podcast to produce my essays. I was, I was into writing essays as being a, a mother of a young child and being a geek and trying to mesh all that together. But nobody was buying essays like that. So I decided to release them via podcast. Um, through that, I met the guys doing the Dragon Page. And through them, I met Michael A. Stackpole, who started what I thought what what I think was the first writing podcast, The Secrets. And he was doing mm-hmm. the advice he was giving out is the kind of you know hallowed, awesome advice you get from a veteran. Mm. But Mike was not concerned with. So you just got a rejection. How bad do you feel? You feel pretty crappy, right? And, you know, I wanted to approach, not necessarily show my writing journey, which just happened to happen, but I wanted to take what I did know about being an author and help other people come behind me. A lot of it being, all of these things are going to make you want to quit, and they shouldn't. And just kind of help people along that way. So I kind of saw it as we already had one podcast that helped people from the point of view of a veteran. I thought another podcast from the point of view of somebody who was absolutely new, but still understood as enough about publishing um, to at least say, I know when I jump off the diving board, I'm aiming toward the pool. So if you're not aiming toward the pool, come with me and I'll show you at least how to hit the pool. I can't promise the dive is going to look good or anything. So hit the I, water at least, right? Yeah, that was a weird metaphor. But uh, yeah, I, I – and it, it spoke to people. And because I was unpublished, I was going through my – I was talking about my career because I didn't have anything else to talk about if I was going to do a writing podcast. So yeah. then it turned out my from my very first sale uh, story sale, my writing career kind of got uh, chronicled by the podcast. What has been like, since you started the podcast, I should be writing, what has been your most, your biggest joy from it? Gosh, it's it's a little vague, and I'm sorry if this if if you want like more specifics. But essentially, mm-hmm. I learned that um, on the whole, writers are very kind people, uh, and writers love to talk about themselves and their work. So when you think, I really want to approach this writer and put them on my show, are they going to think, well, who the hell are you? Or this isn't going to help my career or anything. And I had. I, I can only think of one person who has actively put me down. Um, maybe some people put me off because of timing, but only one person flat out turned me down mm-hmm. in all the years I've been doing this. I mean, Neil Gaiman made a hole in his schedule at Worldcon in Montreal 11 years ago to sit down with me for 15 minutes to talk on my show. And, um, Connie Willis has sat down to talk with me and, and I I've interviewed all of my living idols. That's except awesome. wait, 
I guess you could probably call Robin McKin. Robin McKinley has turned me down too, but that was for a personal understood, understandable reason, not a, I'm a busy writer. I'm important kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, I've, I've interviewed China Mieville, Connie Willis, Neil Gaiman, who have probably been my biggest influences as an adult. Unfortunately, yeah. most of my influences as a child are, are gone now, but um, yeah. So, but just, how kind everyone has been in helping me make the show what it is. That's amazing. And when you, um, when you, your first book came out, um, what it was shambling guides through orbit. Yeah. What was it like when like you have this show you've, you're getting, you know, your first book deal, the shambling guides came out. What was the energy for you? Like, were you just amazed? Were you nervous? Did you have all those feelings a new author has when they're with a major publisher? Well, I learned that um, when something moves at a glacial pace, you can get uh, sort of excitement fatigue. You can get anything fatigue. Like right now, I've got pandemic fatigue. I'm tired. I'm not, I'm, I'm not even afraid anymore. I'm just tired. Yeah. And I hear the numbers and I'm like, yep, that sucks. But I, it's not like the, the the visceral fear I had, you know, back in March and April. Right. So it's like you get the deal and it's super exciting, but you can't say anything until the publisher announces. And then um, when, it, when it comes out, it is exciting. But you have had a great variety of feelings along the way, both up and down, as you discover that going through the editing process may be a little bit uh, more challenging than you thought. Um, but strangely, the biggest problem I had was the tagline for the show was a podcast for wannabe writers by a wannabe writer. And I had people actively talking, telling me I can't call it that anymore. Like the listeners or the audience was saying that, not, Mm -hmm. not me. So, uh, I had to figure out how to, uh, tooting my own horn is not something I do very well, even though I've had a podcast for <laughs> several <laughs> years. Just realize that does not sound like it's true. But, you know, talking <laughs> about how awesome I am or how awesome my career is, is, it doesn't feel natural to me. And so I still felt very much like a wannabe. It, it's, it's a little, it's a little clue that, that no one tells you that experience is what makes you feel like you've leveled up not someone on the outside hitting you with a fairy magic wand. So it's like if the publisher comes up to me and goes, ding, you've got a book published. It doesn't feel like I leveled up until something internally said, okay, you've done enough work to do it. So uh, it was hard for me to, to, to move from the wannabe writer statement because I still felt very much like a wannabe. But it, it was awesome. And I had, um, you know, the first, the shambling guides were, I think they were on the tail end of the popularity of uh, urban fantasy and mm-hmm. fall into the, I mean, yes, it could be a lot worse, but fall into the category of everyone who read them loved them, but not a lot of people read they them. They are awesome. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and so that, that was frustrating. At least like people didn't hate them, but it, that that expecting them to get a little bit more I, I had the the audience behind me but then learning the realities of publishing was a little bit of a shock but um 
so yeah, those those are the emotions. It's it's many many of them. <laughs> and then you so you went from like writing the shambling guides to six weeks, mm-hmm. and six weeks. Uh, tell us how that came about because you're you're writing like fantasy, and then you're moving to sci-fi. Were you nervous about it? And what was it like to actually oh, get to the journey? Extremely nervous. Mm-hmm. Well, I got told by my editor that they didn't want another shambling guide. And so I had to pitch them ideas and I pitched them like two fantasy ideas. And I wanted to do a locked room murder story with clones in space. And they were excited about the last one. And I thought, okay, I've got to write science fiction now. What really scared me was the mystery aspect of it, because I said I wanted to write a murder mystery, but I realized that is not a genre that I had read a lot in. And I got really afraid of because I believe you need to. I'm not going to get into the whole sci fi canon debate that's kind of going on right now, but I do believe you need to read within your genre. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tell you who to read. But just read inside your genre. <laughs> yeah. And I hadn't done that. So I started reading a lot of some of the current day, like the murder mysteries are kind of turned into the thrillers with lots of twists kind of thing. And I read a couple of those, but I also read a lot of Agatha Christie because while formulaic and not very good at characterization, her murder mysteries were brilliant. I mean, the, the, the way she just put stuff together was amazing. And so I learned a lot about just how to write murder mysteries by reading Agatha Christie. So I took the Agatha Christie, what I learned from that, and then put it in sci-fi world. And um, yeah, what's funny is I'm not going to go into numbers, but I got a, for the shambling guides got a two book deal of, uh, pretty good money not not awesome not amazing but i was happy and then six weeks got a one book deal with two-thirds of the shit one of the shambling guide books so it's like i got offered let much less much less money much less uh only a one book deal uh and that was because the shambling guides hadn't done that well but uh that weird murder mystery became by far, by best selling and best reviewed and just best book. So that was it was very grat. It was it was very gratifying. It was awesome. But um, yeah, and then you were nominated like crazy for that book, which was awesome. Yes, yes, that was shock after shock. Uh, <laughs> Philip K. Dick, the Hugo, the Nebula, uh, Manly Wade Wellman, and oh crap, I can't remember the name of it. It was a newer speculative fiction award given by Dartmouth. Hmm. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, I was very honored to be, to have the book that get that much attention. It was amazing. And I know I just had uh, Marshall and Nick read the book because we knew you were going to come on the show. And I was like, you have to read six weeks. It's one of my favorite <laughs> books ever. So they loved it because on Agatha, on the Agatha Christie note, we just did a show where, Nick's We're writing talk a lot um, about murder mysteries lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, a lot. So we read, we read, um, and then there were none. Oh, and one of my favorites. Yeah, and so we reversed engineered it. Like we've been reading a lot, like books on writing, and I said, you know what? Why don't we 
like we were already doing this in our writing group. I said, why don't we read? And then there were none and re engineer it through the lens of the three act structure that you see in save the cat writes a novel. So we did a whole show about like each step of how she did it because it all came out of when I read Nick's first draft of his book. And I was like, Oh, we sh- you should tighten up your mystery. Let's read a mystery. I mean, I read mm-hmm. mystery anyway. So I thought this would be fun, but it was, it was really inspired because of you and how much you talked about how you read Agatha Christie for uh, like, being prepared to write a mystery. Um, so I wanted to tell you that, but um, I think it was just, you're right. You. She, she really, she really crafted some really cool mysteries. And so then I was like, all right, we need to read six weeks now. And then I asked you to come on the show. So we're super excited. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then there were none is it, it, it's fascinating because it's, it doesn't follow most of her, I, I, I called her formulaic and then you bring up and then there were none. And I'm like, yeah, no <laughs> book is like that book. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just amazing. And I, I remember reading it and finishing it and going like finishing the, before the epilogue. And right. I'm like, what the hell? It's, it's, <laughs> is that, is that what's happening? Right? And then it's like the <laughs> super long epilogue. That was like two chapters worth of content in that epilogue. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, did you manage to put it in the three act structure? Cause I don't see how it, cause I don't even know if that book has a protagonist unless it's uh what's your face. Number, number one. We did in a way that we could have, like we were really trying to study it from that lens. And like the caveat we said to everyone, like he was listening and just, it was a very in, it was a very debated uh, topic that whole book. <laughs> I bet. Um, like on our writing group, we probably spent like four hours debating it, and like I swear to you, three hours was about the letter. Um, some of but, us had some issues yeah, with the letter, but yeah, some yeah. people were like, we hated the letter. But it was just a really good way to see if we could put it into the three act structure, and we did sort of, but did it fit like cookie cutter wise? No. I don't think mm-hmm. it did at all, but it no. was a really great way to see how she pieced everything together. And I think it helped break down like the, the tension that she builds throughout the novel, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. While it doesn't follow a lot of the rules, it does. It definitely does the whole tension thing quite well. And uh, yeah, I, I, I need to read more about her not only just because of her very weird uh, missing person thing. Yeah. That, you know, that she, whole thing is kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but also because I, this may be apocryphal, but I, I think I remember hearing, you know, her, like someone tell her, you can't write a murder mystery like this. And she's like, yeah, I can. And then she wrote uh, the murder of Roger Ackroyd. Mm-hmm. And, I feel weird because these are brilliant murder mysteries. I don't want to give spoilers, but they're also books that are like coming up on 80 years old. So uh, anyway, spoiler, but the murder of Roger Ackroyd, the murderer is the narrator. And so, you know, it went like, there's one clue in there when he's like, I did what needed to be done. And then I left the house. And that's where the murder happened. And it's like, I even listen, I was listening to it while I was grocery shopping. I was re-listening to it. 
a couple of months ago while I was grocery shopping and I'm like, that's where the murder happened. I have to go back because I missed it. I, I missed that one line where he says mm-hmm. that he did it, but he doesn't say that he did it. But uh, it's, I, I feel like half the things that she created were just to see what would happen. Sometimes it's, oh, it's never the lover. All right, well, I'm going to make it the lover, but <laughs> you're not going to believe it's the lover. I'm going to think, you're going to think it's the lover, and then you're going to be convinced the lover did not do it, and then at the end, the lover did it. I mean, she just, it's amazing just what she, it's like she tried to pretty much make everybody into a murderer at some time. Mm. Except for maybe the dog in the silent witness, the dog is not the murderer. But do you think <laughs> it is because he? Did she, they think she tripped over the the ball? But that's still not murder. That's just a dog leaving a ball on the floor. But I'll stop talking. You guys go. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely loved uh, Agatha's Christie, and then there was none, and there were none. Um, it was a great, especially with me trying to write a science fiction f- mystery right now. It was awesome. And so Will actually gives us homework regularly. Um, and part of my homework was to read that and to read Six Wakes, which since I've read that, I've been dying for this interview so we can break <laughs> it down because flawless execution on a lot of stuff that Thank really you. just opened my eyes um, on how to do a science fiction mystery. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited that you're here and love the hearing that you read Agatha Christie as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still I'm still picking up her stuff. Sometimes I'll the I, I I'm paying after we did the whole we're paying for Netflix, we're paying for Amazon Prime, we're paying for Hulu, and you want to get a BritBox too? And I'm like, <laughs> all of Poirot is on Brit BritBox, all of it. Yeah. And so we we decided six more dollars a month to streaming because I wanted to get all the Marple and Poirot I can. I've heard the Poirot stuff is amazing. I haven't been able to check it out myself, but I'd really like to soon. There's some really good ones. There's some that that were surprisingly off. Murder on the Orient Express was not as good as it could have been, I thought. But anyway, mm-hmm. you were you were going on about uh, yes, the 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 mainlining Agatha Christie. I want to draw it back to six weeks too, because when you were writing it, and this is like your you know you're taking a stab at mystery in a sci-fi setting. What were you most excited about while writing it? Well, um, I, I'm assuming you all are writers. So, Marshall, are you a writer as well? I am. Okay. Yes. So, you guys know that sometimes you get an idea and it just like, you're like, oh, that'd be neat. And then it sits in the back of your head. Years <laughs> can pass. And then another thing comes along. It's like, oh, there's a little puzzle piece. I can snap onto that other thing sitting at the back of my head. And then more, you know, years can pass. I, for some reason, I wanted to do a generation starship with a crew that were made the same the whole time. So how could that be possible? Well, they had to be immortal or gods or vampires or elves. And I didn't like any of those ideas. I still like, because there's so many generation ship stories about people who don't remember why they're there. And I thought, well, it was the first crew they're going to remember. They might be halfway to insane or full way to insane, but they'll remember and then I was playing uh, the video game FTL, which is just a spaceship simulator. And one of the things you can put on your ship is a cloning bay. But the cloning bay is not to fill your ship with clones. It's only used when one of your clone, one of your people dies. And I thought, I've never seen that before and thought about 
how would you use if, if cloning technology was real, but you only used it if someone died? And that's what got me thinking about the uh, all the laws that they had to put around cloning and the uh, how they did not want multiple people running around, multiple of the same people running around. So they had to, to do those heavy laws to stop that. And uh, and those two things just kind of clicked of let's do the, the, the generation starship with clones that just keep coming back. And so I think the most exciting thing was the fact that that, I, I can't tell you how long that idea has been in my head years, <laughs> just like just that little generation starship with the same crew the whole time. And uh, so that was probably the most exciting thing. The mystery part scared the hell out of me. I know there's a lot of science fiction that's hand wavy uh, star Wars, for example. Oh yeah. But I knew I had to do at least some things that were based on realism. A lot of science fiction is impossible, but people like it when you can take what we have now and try to see a reasonable evolution of technology to eventually get to where you say the book is. So that was that was kind of scary, honestly. Um, Funny thing is, is the cloning stuff. That's total hand wavy. Mm. I barely even try. Like, I didn't even worry about like uh, the whole, every subsequent clone is a little bit worse. No, I didn't worry about that. It's all perfect. It's all <laughs> hand wavy. They can go in and modify the genes. Everything's great. I, I got, love that though. <laughs> I, thank you. I got dinged by Kirkus on the very little bit I put about how the ship powers itself on its interstellar path. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Which is, what? But I did research on it. And <laughs> I had a friend who's uh, Pamela Gay from uh, Astronomy Cast was, you know, she was part of my uh, people to talk to on that. And she liked that part. And actually, she's the one who told me what happens to blood in zero G. So thanks to her is why the first chapter is so bloody, because yeah. she kept telling me what happens to blood in zero G. And I'm just like, this is so cool. Don't stop talking. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's like the murder mystery scared me. The sci-fi part scared me. But just letting that letting that uh, idea actually happen was very thrilling. You you talked about a lot of the laws and the structure of that throughout parts of it. And I I definitely appreciate that because I felt like you did a lot of research on it. And even though, let's say your clone is hand wavy, right? Didn't matter to me because I was bought because you had specific laws in place. Like, And I, it just makes me think of now, like all of the te- technology that we have now, there's people fighting for laws for mm-hmm. privacy and stuff like that. And so it's like, Okay, something really bad had to have happened before this and like these are implemented. So it definitely gave me a better background without you actually giving me a background of things. Oh, that's a really good point. And the and world building aspect of it too, because yeah. with with that kind of stuff, any new tech, especially stuff that may go over, you know, cross lines religiously and stuff like that, like there would be resistance. There would be people who would be adamantly against it. And then there'd be the religious aspect too. And I think you did a really good job balancing mm-hmm. all that. So, um, and, and, and that's the thing. So like, you know, you, you might say the clone parts hand wavy, but really if you extrapolate, if this were to happen today, I mean, all those events would likely, and those laws would have to be in place for sure. So, I mean, look at COVID, no one cares about the science, but everything <laughs> else around us right now is what's getting people through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I didn't mean to derail your questions there, Will. 
no, you didn't derail them. This is great. Um, it's not just my show. Um, my next question is, I think it's the character of Joanna who, um, was paralyzed or lost the use of her legs. Then through clone, she got them back, but then she went back to, um, not having the use of her legs. And I thought that was one really, uh, touching and brilliant because I think we read a lot of fiction where if you are not able-bodied, um, they're erased. So what inspired you to do that? Um, and did you have sensitivity readers or did you have like friends who were not able-bodied, like really give their input to that character? I'm embarrassed to say this, but I did not have sensitivity readers, but I am good friends with a disability activist and I listen to her a lot. And I try to listen to uh, basically anybody talking about disability activism. Um, there's not enough people standing up for disabled people. And um, the, the concept, uh, I, I try to think of it as if a race of people with three arms just came and started telling us how sad we are and how unwhole we are and how they want to give us a third arm and you're like i've been using these my whole life i'm fine mm -hmm. and that's what i hear from a lot of people who are disabled who are just like this is me this is who i am you have glasses on i have a wheelchair i mean there's not much difference and um that that's one reason why i i dabbled in that because uh I wanted to give a disabled person who, while she may have had the choice at one point before the laws were passed, didn't want to do it because that's not who she was. Mm -hmm. And um, I probably should have had a sensitivity reader. It's possible I lucked out that I didn't need one, but uh, I, I have been listening a lot to disability activists. And I mean, everything from, in the guild, there's a woman complaining that she can't have a fantasy avatar that looks like her. And, uh, you know, people talk about that all the time. And in the most recent game, Spiritfarer, there's a character in a wheelchair who talks about how once they, Spiritfarer is about you take over the job of the ferryman of the dead. So it's very, uh -huh. um, it's, it's a very sweet, memorable game where you help these people get on your ship and you work them through some of the things that happened in their lives. And then you carry, they're done. And then you carry them through. And one person's in a wheelchair and is talking about how once I finally cross over, I'll be free. And a lot of people stood up and said, Nope, that's not cool. Mm -hmm. it, it's just, we look through, we, we try to look, we, we say we try to look through other people's eyes and even but it's hard to, and we, what we do is we look through, if I was put in a wheelchair today, mm -hmm. how would I feel? And then you, you take the, the, the step from there when really that's not who they are. That's not their experience. And, um, you know, and other people say, I've heard somebody say, you know, every religion has their version of the golden rule, but it's not enough because you, you need to treat people how they want to be treated, not how you want to be treated. So, uh, yeah, just, just trying to broaden my horizons and, and tell, 
you know, tell stories about people other than me. Now, do you feel like that's been like with each project, like about, like, I feel like that's like, um, it's leveling up, right? Like you're pushing yourself to write outside of yourself and to really do it um, authentically and to really do it like, you know, with compassion and see people as whole people. We talk about this a lot, the three of us on the podcast (laughs) and not on the podcast, because I always say like, for a long time, I never saw myself in any science fiction or fantasy. And it wasn't until like I read uh, Daniel Jose Older, who wrote the Roomba Street series that I ever once saw any of my inkling of my life in New York or my life with my family and the interactions. So when you're starting a new project, like with your new book that you're currently writing and everything, do you look for ways that you can level up and write inclusively and authentically? Yeah, I try to um, bring a lot of, uh, I try to do, to read widely. I try to read um, people who are not like me again. Um, I've been trying to stretch out to more people of color. Um, I've been talking to Will a lot about uh, queer romance and been getting My a dad. lot of advice on that. <laughs> <clears throat> and um I try to think about what as what is going to be in my book that I didn't have before that I'm going to need to do research on. And I try to do research on authentic voices, but usually fiction, you know, like you said, with, with older stuff. Um, honestly, I, that's what keeps my attention more. I'll just be honest. Yeah. I, I don't want to say it like that, but no, for sure. Um, sometimes nonfiction is too dry for me. For sure. Now I totally get that. But yeah, I definitely yeah. try to do as much research as I can. So now that you finished, like you finished six weeks, it's like nominated for every award you can imagine. Was it um, a shock to you? Like, you know, I think sometimes like I hear you talk, what I love about your podcast more, and this is really what's actually made me start writing again was your podcast. Yay. Can, Thank can you. you clarify, Will, which podcast? Um, I should be writing and then ditch stickers. I mean, you should just listen to yeah. both of them, everyone. Okay? Um, just for our listeners' sake, so no, they no, know. But, <laughs> it's first, I should be writing because then ditch stickers came out with her and Matt Wallace. And it really started making me write again, even though like I went to a create, I went, I did a creative writing program in college, which I was actually in when I started listening. And what I really loved And what I love about you when you talk about your process of writing is that you're very honest when you're not having a good day. Mm -hmm. You're really honest about it being a journey and that um, you're just going to have bad days. And I really appreciate that. And that's the one thing that actually made me feel like, okay, everyone who acts like at least my writing crew at the time – that was like so easy and they're just brilliant. I just kept thinking like, I feel like I'm a third grader. I don't know what Mm -hmm. I'm doing. I really love the, I still sometimes feel that way. Um, I love how honest you are about it because it really, I feel like it motivates, it motivates me to write. And from everyone in discord, like Alex and everyone, like we say that to each other Mm -hmm. all the time. It like keeps us positive. So you're like a light. I hope you know that. Thank you. That. I've been doing it for, I just passed the 15 year anniversary of I should be writing. And I swear every month I think, what the hell else do I have to say? 
I mean, <laughs> I could just put it out, put all the archives out there and say, all right, guys, have at it. Because I need, I'm going to say, a lot of times I'm just saying maybe something I learned that's new, but it's on top of things I've said before. And, uh, but then someone tells me that, that I know people aren't going to pick up the podcast and start at episode one. And so I know that there's going to be things I've said along the way that they didn't get, but also, um, every time I hear somebody say, I went to get help for my mental illness because you said you did. And people who started writing for when they thought that they couldn't for all the reasons why I have stopped writing or considered stop writing before. And that, that keeps me going because if I'm repeating myself, stop listening to the show. It's not going to hurt my feelings. But if, because if there's some one person out there who's getting something that strong from it, then I definitely have to keep going. If only just to say, you got this, come on, you can do it. Well, and, and as somebody, I've been podcasting for a while myself, nowhere near as long as you. And thank you for, I, I love hearing origin stories of podcasting when it became a thing. So thank you for that. Um, but one of the things I tell my students, because I have them create podcasts and stuff. I teach a high school digital media class oh, and neat. I have them, I have them create content and stuff. And, and so I always tell them, I say, you know, be very clear up front with what your show is about and what you and who you are up front because every podcast is somebody's first podcast, right? Yeah. So you might've felt like you're repeating yourself, but someone who just picks up your show now, you'd likely, and I, I would hate if somebody went back to my first podcast and listened yeah. to the first episode. It's brutal. <laughs> yeah. But like I say, if, if you are giving, you know, you might be repeating yourself, but you have new listeners coming in all the time. And so keeping that, keeping that going and, and inspiring folks to, um, to write, uh, I think is, is, is super important. So don't, don't give up. Don't you, you know, you keep, keep doing it <laughs> for sure. <laughs> we love Thank listening you. to you. And repeat I repeat yourself you- as much as you want is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think even Thank what you, you- I think what you and Matt did with Ditch Diggers too is really helpful because I think I know for me going like wanting to go into publishing and like trying to get work published. And then you talk about the, um, the ins and outs of it. It gives people, I don't want to say a leg up, but it like levels the playing field. So they understand what to expect. What has the difference been between doing I should be writing and ditch stickers, like as far as response and everything? Far more people listen to I should be writing. Far more people talk about ditch stickers, um, which is interesting. Um, So if you're a ditch stickers listener, tell a friend. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, ditch diggers is different because it's a one it's, it's a conversation. Um, one thing we haven't mentioned is I've recently moved to doing, I should be writing live on Twitch partly because I just wanted to try something new, but also because it feels more like a conversation. And a lot of people, you know, people listen to enough podcasts where they're just like, yeah, I don't like the one there. one person podcast. It's just one person talking into a mic. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is don't have anything to go off of. So at least if I'm doing it on Twitch, I've got people in the chat, like interacting with me and, and asking questions. But uh, so it's the one-on-one thing that I have with Matt. Um, we're old friends. We got, got to get, to get friendly with each other, like early in podcasting, I think five around 2005. And um, 
he's much harsher than I am. He's mellowed a little bit in the past 15 years, but he is much harsher than I am. And, you know, I should be writing is all about, look, it's okay to fail. It's, it's, you know, try to fail and see mm-hmm. what happens. It's just like, you know, try everything. Everything's okay. I don't care how bad you are. I still want you to finish that story. You know, it's, it's, it's all, it's a very emotional show. Because I thought about all the things that that made me stop writing or maybe think about stop writing, and they're all, it's all emotional. Yeah. And but with Matt, we wanted to talk about business because nobody's doing that. I was just finishing up my MFA, and I got amazing guidance about writing, but nobody told me how to fire the agent that was not mm-hmm. doing anything for me, and nobody told me when to consider firing my agent. And nobody told me uh, how closely to look at a contract if I have an agent. And uh, nobody was telling me how to be a working writer. And it's a lot of people listen to both, which is, is, is gratifying, which I guess it makes sense because they are two very different aspects. But I, I worry that, you know, we say it's okay to write poorly on I Should Be Writing. But on Ditch Diggers, you're a working writer. <laughs> you don't right. have that much leeway to write poorly. We we're, were at least expecting you to write something coherent from beginning to end and turn it in because that's your job. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I sometimes worry somebody's going to say I'm contradicting myself, but it really is different advice for different stages of the career or different problems. The, it, it's both about writing, but one is much more emotional and the other one's much more business focused. Yeah. I got to say, I appreciate the business aspect of it for sure. And, you know, we, I met Nick on a retreat and, you know, there were agents and stuff on, on this retreat and there's something to be said for hearing. And like you said earlier on how glacially slow the process can be and like what to expect when, if you get an agent, like how long to wait and all this kind of stuff. And, and that kind of stuff is really important regardless of what stage in writing I think that you are. Um, having that information, at least I've heard it. Then when you experience it, being able to, oh, that's right. I need to expect this, this, and this now. So mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I was going to say, that's what I appreciate about Ditch Diggers a lot is it is talking about the business of writing. Um, now, my question for you, when you started coming into this community and stuff like that, did you have anyone on your site trying to help you through these things in the beginning? Or was it discovery by fire um, in a sense? I had a little bit. Um, I met one of the first glorious moments of my podcasting career was when the multiple award winning long career writer, James Patrick Kelly contacted me to say that he really liked I should be writing. And he reached out to me and he has basically served as my mentor ever since and has just been there to listen or advise on the other hand he's at a point in his career basically him advising me on beginning writer agent stuff is like how i said i feel about advising new podcasters today it just things are different i can't relate and so mm-hmm. when it came to i i i'm on my fifth agent i oh, wow. okay yeah it, it's it and like none of the stories involve somebody trying to cheat me or me becoming a diva and flying off the handle. It's just, I chose four. No, I chose three bad agents for me. And one of them quit being an agent and I got her boss. 
So she didn't choose me. I didn't choose her. So that's, that was a different situation, but that's another thing. It's like, Oh, and there's another agent. And um, so I, I really wished I had somebody who said, look, if this isn't working for you, it's not working. You need to end this. And I actually had people telling me, oh, well, you've got a really big agent at ICM. Like, it, it, what is it, International Creative Management or something? I mean, it's a huge agency. They do film, they do books, they do literary, all that stuff. So I had people telling me, you you want to keep that agent. But uh, the agent wasn't right for me. She right. didn't like anything I was doing. <laughs> She's like, you can't she have w- somebody on your side when they don't like what you're doing. Exactly. She <laughs> wanted me to redo something I'd done years ago. And I said, are you interested in anything I'm writing right now? And she said, no. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's the answer we need to move on. So, um, so yeah, I kind of wished I'd had that, but I try to take that experience and say, look, I have sat there and wondered whether I should fire my agent many, many times. One time I got fired before I could fire her. That's crazy. (laughs) So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I had, I had a lot of guidance from Jim Kelly and he's still, uh, very close friends. He's actually, my daughter's up in Boston now um, at school and Jim's in New Hampshire. And he's actually said that, that she, he can be a point of, of safety if she needs anything. And that that was very sweet of him. Um, So yes and no, I guess is the very short answer to that question. (laughs) No, I love it. Uh, Well, I'll pass it back to you because I know you've got another question lined up here. Oh yeah. Uh, What, can you talk about what uh, projects you'll be uh, working on? Or that's coming out soon? I can only talk about the book I have with Ace. Um, the It is um, essentially, let's see, sorry. The elevator pitch is Murder, She Wrote meets Babylon 5. Oh. So it's another murder mystery. on it, But this time it's on a space station. And um, it features someone around whom murders happen. But I tried to hang a lantern on it and just say, if that really happened... Nobody would want to be around you. You could not hold a relationship. Your family would just treat you as a pariah. And so she chooses to go into space among aliens because maybe aliens won't die around her. So uh, that that's, I just wanted to hang a lantern on that trope of, wow, a whole lot. Of, there's a high, high murder rate in uh, Midsummer and Midsummer murders and stuff like that. Um, so that's, the working title is Midsolar Mysteries. Uh, we haven't agreed on a title yet, so but that's what I'm saying the working title is. And that is, I finally turned the first big rewrite in. So hopefully I'll get some comments back on that and we can put it on the schedule because of COVID and other things and the size of the rewrite they wanted. We just took it off the schedule and said, just, just, just work on it, which I appreciated. They were understanding. It's hard. It's, it's weird to say there were other things going poorly in the first of the year other than global pandemic, but, but there were, um, so there's that. And I have two short stories coming out and I mentioned them because they're both in the six weeks universe. There's one in, uh, the escape. I'm also co-editor of escape pod, the science fiction podcast magazine. And, uh, we did, we are doing a 15th anniversary anthology. And again, I'm bad at tooting my own horn, but the publisher of the book asked that I contribute a short story to it. So um, I did what essentially a next step in the six week story. 
there's an anthology, I don't know if it's out now or just came out, called The Way of the Laser, that does like a science, it's like a science fiction crime book. And so I did a sort of Agatha Christie traditional English Christmas murder mystery where it's not really a murder because it's during these clone times and grandmother shows up and everyone finds out that A, she's not going to die anytime soon. B, she is now her own heir forever. Oh, wow. And C, they're pissed off. So they kill her and then, but it's not a murder because she can come back anytime. And so it's like figuring out who did this and why talking about how it's, it, <laughs> is it really a crime or not? And then, <laughs> you know, things like that. So, uh, th- those two are done and will be out or already out. But um, I do want to work on a sequel to Six Wakes, but that'll be on my own time because uh, the publisher didn't want a sequel. So, hmm. but I, there, there is more I want to tell. This it's a fun world to create. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, and the characters are so dynamic. I, I don't awesome. know how you couldn't <laughs> want to keep writing their yeah. journey. Um, now for Uncanny Magazine. Um, you said you, you mentioned that you were going to write a short story for them. Um, is that something that you they give you an assignment for at all? Or is it just, Hammer, hey, we just want something from you? No, this was for Escape Pod. And it was for the uh, 15th anniversary anthology. And the publisher said, uh, had sort of a wish list of authors to contribute to the story, to the anthology. And they wanted one from me, but they didn't give me any guidance of what they wanted. They just said they wanted a Merle Lafferty science fiction story. So, cool. That's awesome. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and to ahead, be aware Marshall. of of your time, and we do appreciate you spending this time with us for sure. Um, can you um, let people know? Like you, you mentioned your Patreon earlier. Um, not Patreon. Your um, your podcasts and um, where people can find you online. And then um, our last question usually is. What keeps you writing? I am found at Merverse.com. On Twitter, I'm Mighty Mer. On Twitch, I'm Mighty Mer. And those are the places I'm most uh, active right now. Um, I should be writing a Ditch Diggers are available on most places that have podcasts. And so is Escape Pod. And um, I wish I could remember who said it. I want to say Tobias Bakel. I'm not entirely sure. But... People ask, like, where do your ideas come from? And his question is, how do you get yours to stop? That's <laughs> that's why I keep writing, because I, I the ideas keep coming. And it's fun to write it down. It gets stressful when it becomes a career, but then you're getting paid to write, and that's awesome. So it's a little bit of a juggling thing there, but uh, still, writing is a lot of fun for me. Awesome. That's well, awesome. We, uh, we can't thank you enough for, for being on. Will, did you have anything else before I? No, that was okay. perfect. I was just making sure you, I was making sure I was looking at your face and reading it. Right. So thank you Mar, so much for yeah. being on the show today. We really, really appreciate your time and uh, hopefully we can do this again. Thank so. you. I'd love to. You guys are great. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks, thanks ton, Mar. This has been just keep writing a podcast for writers by writers to keep you writing. Check out our website at justkeepwriting.org. You can find links to our social media and Discord channel in the show notes, as well as any other links mentioned during the show. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is patreon.com slash just keep writing. Thanks for listening. Now just keep writing.